be homies, taste buds, culinary comrades. My goodness, we've done it. It's the beginning of 2019. Welcome to House of Cards, the food podcast for the hungry people, by the hungry people. I am your hungry host. We are on the Ringer Podcast Network. My culinary comrades, we have been promising a very special season of House of Carbs. I think we are going to deliver the goods today. Danny Chow was just in Toronto, Canada. You know from all of the lusting in our heart and our bellies, Juliet Littman and I have been wanting to get to Toronto. We are going to be satisfied with living vicariously through Danny's eyes and ears and mouth and belly. He, he gives us a beautiful rendition of his time in Toronto. And then America's food critic has found his way to Los Angeles. He is now writing for the Los Angeles Times. Bill Addison is joining us to talk about his own finally settling down from traveling all across these great United States of ours for the past five years. He's in LA and eating and writing. We're very psyched to kick off our food year with Bill Addison. Let's get in that belly first with the homie, Danny Chow. All right, Taste Buds, as promised, the 2019 innovation here at House of Carbs. Our own resident food critic, Danny Chow, he's coming on many times this upcoming uh, season, this upcoming year, because we want to catch him right off of his worldwide travels. We are lucky enough to have him in just such a moment at the very beginning of 2019. Danny Chow, welcome. How you doing, buddy? Oh man, I'm back. Uh, I'm a little tired, but you know it, it's been it's been a great seven days in Toronto. I spent the past seven days in Toronto for a couple pieces that I'm working on at the Ringer. Um, it was a it was a lovely city, lovely snow, cold as hell, uh, but I was ready for it, and the food was amazing. Yeah, so I want to start with with first my admiration as you sized up your 2019 eating calendar. You know, you could have put Toronto kind of anywhere over the course of the year you chose exactly the coldest month of the year yeah but you know that's that's because your 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 belly led you there and i i i'm just i respect that and i admire it you know i i wanted to catch toronto as you know as most people know it like as a very cold city uh so i actually caught it right when their first big storm of the winter hit and it was it was a big one there. I mean, there was there was a lot of snow, but it was also sun, sunny outside. It was really beautiful. Uh, but yeah, there were there were days when it was like zero degrees Fahrenheit out there. You know, you just have to and, and people just deal with it. Everyone. It's a walking city. So people just walk around and you you grin and bear it. Yeah, because the, they're, they're Canadians. That's Canada. <laughs> That's what they do. Yep. Now, I want to begin with this. I, I need to, to get out this off my chest. I'm enormously jealous. I have been talking probably for 18 months about how uh, much I would love to get to Toronto and, and do um, an eating tour, e even like sort of one third as ambitious as what you undertook. But I, I'm setting aside my petty jealousy. I'm prepared to live through through your mouth, through your belly. 
Let, let's hear where you went and what you ate. Yeah. And so one of the things that really has me gravitated towards Toronto is the fact that it, it almost, despite the weather, it, everything despite the weather, it really does kind of feel like home for me. And I'm, I'm L.A. born and raised. Um, some of the best food you can find in Toronto is out in the suburbs, is out in uh, areas like Scarborough, Markham, Richmond Hill, you know, Mississauga areas, uh, basically the the suburbs just outside of the city of Toronto, where there's just a, a complete melange of of cultures that all just kind of collide against one another. And you're getting some of the most traditional um, rooted cuisine that you can you can find out there. Like in, in one trip out to the suburbs, I hit a glorious Vietnamese noodle soup, uh, noodle soup shop, uh, a glorious, tiny um, Malaysian, basically like street food hawker stand type place. We went to a Trinidadian, you know, curried goat and roti spot, and we hit this one. Um, okay, so this is this is probably the most interesting one because it is a Jewish deli from a man who used to work at Schwartz's Deli out in Montreal, but the man is Sri Lankan, and he's making a you know, a perfect Jewish deli for a city of immigrants. Oh. Yeah. You so should see wh- my face right now. Where, where, where do you want to start there? <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm interested. Let's just start with that one. I, I do want to make sure that, that I hear from you. I, you know, we don't have to do a ranking, but I want to hear about one or two of the most noteworthy bites that you enjoyed. But this the Sri Lankan Jewish deli vibe is uh, a, a, a curious combination. It, I'm it, curious. It really is. And it, it's kind of a reflection of Toronto as as I kind of entered into the space envisioning. Just, you know, there are so many, it's so diverse. And honestly, the city's motto is diversity, our strength. And so yeah. they've they've really kind of, you know, leaned into that. And yeah, I mean, look, it, the place is called Sumilicious. Uh, it's run by a Sri Lankan immigrant who, who moved to Canada many, many years ago. He spent years in Montreal kind of working on, you know, the, the famous smoked meats at Schwartz's Deli in, in Montreal, uh, kind of made some tweaks to that recipe, brought it down to Toronto. And really it's, it's an, it's not a place where you're going to be getting any kind of Sri Lankan influences. It's just a straight Jewish deli from a man who has kind of, spent most of his life in North America figuring out the best way to do it. And and was there any singular um item on on the menu there that that stood out above the others? Uh no, I mean we we were I was basically on like a a huge eating trip so we we tried to keep it down to, you know, the classics. We we had, you know, the the smoked meat um which was which was fair. I, the thing is, I, I'm I'm talking about this as if you know it, it was like a you know mind blowing experience, but really I, I'm not too big on the uh, Canadian version of, of smoked meat. Uh, I find yeah, it a sure. little a little more a little bit more tepid than what we would find in a normal you know in a typical pastrami uh, deli that you could find across coasts uh, you know th- you know throughout America really uh, throughout the states. So. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it was just a fascinating intersection of cultures that, that we got to experience. And I, I felt lucky to have been able to be there firsthand. 
Yeah. So I, I know the tradition, and this has been part of the allure to me personally, of a super strong Caribbean um, community and Caribbean influences. You you mentioned the roti. Yes. Can we please talk about that? Oh, man. Okay. So the place that we went to was in Scarborough. It's a place called Mona's Roti. And they specialize in, you know, so roti is is a, basically it's a, it's a, it's a general blanket term for, you know, the types of flatbreads that are eaten in uh, South Asian and West Indian cuisine. Um, typically, there are, there are very, you know, specific versions of that, obviously, like pratha and, and you know, naan and, and all of that. But, but roti uh, that's served in, you know, a lot of Caribbean cultures uh, is generally used as a wrap um, or, you know, it, it's, it's served on the side and it's kind of like scrunched up and, and kind of eaten alongside a curry as, you know, a dip. Uh, but mm. when when it's wrapped, that's kind of where I feel the magic is. It's it's like this, you know, overstuffed burrito with with curry filling. And I feel like Toronto has really nailed it because when you have this population that's so diverse um, and you have, you know, South Asian, you know, Indian, Sri Lankan, you know, Bangladeshi uh, immigrants kind of being having businesses next to, you know, Trinidadians, there's kind of like an almost intersection there. Uh, When you think about Indian cuisine, you don't necessarily think of roti as something that you'd wrap a curry in, but it's something that in Toronto um, that they've kind of adapted. And so they've adapted and adopted and you can order a butter chicken roti. So it's just um, oh. it's basically like a wrapped butter chicken and you cut it, cut through it with a knife and it's served in almost like this small, like, you know, Stouffer's lasagna tin. And it's just like the most glorious, you know, bite you can imagine. Like if, if that existed when I was in college, I, I don't even, I don't even know. I, I would probably be, you know, 250 pounds. Well, I, I'm I'm so surprised. That's not what I was anticipating in terms of the filling, right? Because I have this kind of uh, maybe it's too narrow uh, imagination when it comes to the Caribbean version of roti. I I think of it as like curried goat or um, oh yeah, you know some kind of other protein. Yeah, that's it- been like you know curry or escovich you know, pre- preparation and then there's a there's a saucy element to it and it's dripping out and the bread is is re- you need it you know it's a stronger kind of of a of a flat bread so it can stand up to the sauciness mm-hmm. but but you're talking about something in a different tradition altogether it's it's something that i feel and and again i'm i'm not i'm not an, an expert on this but it's just something that i've never really encountered anywhere elsewhere where you can get those, you can go to a you know Trinidadian restaurant and get that very traditional curried goat roti. Lord knows, I I, I did it about three times on this trip. But yes. what was special for me was just being able to go to you know a classic Indian restaurant and also order a roti, also prepared in a wrap format, but you know with a vindaloo on the inside or with, you know, a, man, a, oh, man. A, a butter chicken. It's, it's fusion, but it's not fusion because they're, they're kind of drawing from the, a very base level, you know, inspiration. It, I, I mean, all of these flavors and, and cuisines originated at the same place. It's just 
the ways that in which it traveled across, you know, countries and, and, and across cultures has kind of changed it and mutated it a little. But ultimately, it's it's coming from the same fundamental place. So it yeah, right, makes right. so much sense, you know? Of course. Uh, tell me about another place, another, a, a totally different walk of life. You know, let, let's, let's, let's move from, from, um, the West Indies to a different part of the world. Sure. Um, our first stop on that kind of Scarborough Markham suburban trip was a place called, um, it's a Vietnamese place called Bom Le, which is a Vietnamese spot that from what I've heard, and I've, I've done a lot of reading, um, from this this one Toronto food critic slash travel writer named Suresh Das, um, who is just an authority on really traditional ethnic cuisine that you could find in the greater Toronto area. And this place serves a... They specialize in a crab and tomato noodle soup called Bumru. And it is, it's it's funny because this is like, it's a dish that I ate so much growing up that I actually hated it. Uh, my mom used to make it all the time because it was one of her favorites. And she made it so often that I was just, I was just completely sick of it. But once I got, you know, once I went to college and once, you know, the, the, vid- the visits started being coming more infrequent, that was when it was like, oh, okay, so this is like a true taste of home. And so that's. I, I, I want to interrupt you for just one second. Yeah. Um, just to set the stage because I think it's right to observe you as an LA native and what you the, the the home that you grew up in and the restaurants that you as a young person uh ate at. Like in, in terms of of why well, I'm gonna I was gonna make the generalization about sort of there being at the very tippy top of of that kind of cuisine, the, what what you could get in LA. Um, is very unique to 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 Los Angeles, probably not rivaled anywhere else in the country. I'm not going to make that generalization because I'm not an expert, but I just want to say the bar is very high with you when yeah. you go into a, a place like this that's serving dishes like this. That, a- that's what I wanted to get out there. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I am Vietnamese, and when people ask me, oh, what's the best Vietnamese, uh, you know, food that you can get in L.A.? And generally, my answer is is very frustrating. I'm just like, you know, come to my mom's place, and we'll, yeah, we'll, right. we'll, we'll serve you up something righteous. Um, but uh, I hope my mom doesn't hear this, but, you know, their version of this dish is better than my mom's. Uh, I've, I've had, I've, I've had a lot of time to think about it right after I, I finished my bowl. I was like, this was so good that it didn't even remind me of home. It reminded me that, you know, oh yeah. It reminded me of all the times where my mom like missed an ingredient or like took a, took a half measure because it was on par with some of the best versions she's ever made of it. And that was when I was like, oh, wow, okay. This this is a very legitimate restaurant. Apologies to Mrs. Chow. We would never uh, uh, demean or diminish your, your efforts, Mrs. Chow. Yeah, uh, of course not. She's a, she's a lovely lady and, and, a, and a wonderful cook. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, it left, me, it left me speechless for a while just because it was like, I didn't, I, I, w- I really wasn't expecting it. Right, right. That I think that's the, the the aspect of 
of Toronto that's the true allure, um, at least from all of the reading that I've done. And you know, like, you know, the, 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 I hate to use this word cause it's, it's so popular right now, but like the authenticity of micro cuisines in Toronto, their ability because of the diversity of the traditions that folks have come from and have been cooking there, uh, and what they've brought. And it must be the case. Uh, and this is one of the things I'm interested in, um, that they're able to get ingredients that, that, that permit, um, them to, to, to sort of capture the essence of the dishes that, that folks have brought from various places all over the world. Right. Yeah, and the thing is, I feel like with all of the advancements with technology, you know, the, the world's a much smaller place, and Toronto yeah. is the fourth biggest city in North America. There, there's no real shortage in, in finding avenues in which to get these um, ingredients. And, and I'm sure, I think from what I've read, this, this Vietnamese restaurant um, actually does source some ingredients um, from back home just because they they trust it more. Um, so yeah, that, sure. that's that's definitely not not an issue there, um, and and it definitely lends a lot to being able to preserve a lot of those traditions. Well, let let's um let's let's tease what you're working on. We won't step on either one of the pieces you're working on, but let's tease them a little bit. You mentioned two pieces of of writing that you have coming up here in the in the near future about your experience in Toronto. Let's let's tease the taste buds a little bit with with what you're working on. Yeah, of course. Um so I'm I'm going to be continuing my my food diary series chow down. Uh so it's going to be a, a very comprehensive look at what I ate across my seven seven days there. Um so yeah, th- those have been pretty pretty well received, I think. Uh so uh, well def- I I I I'll attest my both my hands are up. I I die, I love when Chow Down comes out, it's my one of my very favorite. Don't tell Bill Simmons. Well, he doesn't write anymore, anyways. <laughs> but you, Chow Down is in my top five. Anytime I see Chow uh, Down, that's it. Everything I drop everything and I'm into it. Thank you, man. That that means a lot. Um, and the other piece is definitely you know something that I I've been wanting to do for a while is it, it's basically an examination of kind of Raptors sports fandom. Uh, in Toronto and and how kind of the team and and the city culture kind of intersect. Uh, so it's it's definitely less of an X's and O's type of look at the Raptors, but um, more one that kind of takes in the entire culture of the of the team and the city holistically. Um, yeah, and and it's it's kind of combining you know my two real passions, you know, food and basketball. So the the trip was a, a huge a huge success. Mine too. This is part of why you're coming on, you know, uh, all these House of Carbs this year. Yeah, absolutely. We know that we had this shared, this shared love, this shared passion, but you know, we finally figured out a way to to uh, be able to to express it together. Um, now, I, I'm I'm uh, still a softy. I am not going to Toronto in January or February or probably even March, maybe not even April. Man, but come playoff time, if the Raptors are still going great, oh, yeah, I might you know, finally execute on this, this visit. And I'm very excited to have kind of a curated, you know, at least a head start on how I might tackle my eating adventure there with the, with the, the chow down that's about to come out. So, Look, so the, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you, Danny Chow. The city is in, in love with patios, you know, any chance they get, they will bust out their patios. So you, you'll be, you'll be hitting there. You'll be getting there around patio season. You'll have a great time. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome Danny Chow 
Ringer's food correspondent. I can't wait to talk to you again soon, my friend. Very soon. All right, my culinary comrades. Man, I cannot wait for that chow down to come out. This Toronto food journey. I'm 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 literally starving at the uh, at the at the very idea of that butter chicken roti. Uh, we're gonna t- get going here uh, in a second with my man Bill Addison. But first, let me tell you about these good folks at Joybird. Have you heard about Joybird? It's the company behind the revolution in online furniture shopping. Joybird offers one-of-a-kind furniture made to your unique taste. Turn your own ideas into reality with hundreds of styles and options from mid-century modern to contemporary classics, all customizable in an amazing array of fabric choices from rich buttery leather and plush velvets to every color imaginable. Every color, I mean, what about... Uh, butter chicken uh, uh, color. Maybe, <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. That might work. There's even a wide range. This is good for me. A wide range of kid and pet friendly upholstery available. I need. I need. I need a double dose of that, as well as free personal design consultants to help nail down your perfect design. And with Joybird's 365 day home trial. You can skip the furniture store and bring the showroom home. Sit on it. Sleep on it. Break it in. If you don't love your joy bird, return for a full refund. In-home delivery is hassle-free. They will even remove all the packing materials and returns are free within two weeks of delivery. See how Joybird is revolutionizing online furniture shopping. Create the furniture that brings you joy today at joybird.com slash carbs. Go to joybird.com slash carbs and receive an exclusive offer for 25% off your first order. Oh, this is good. Joybird.com slash carbs, 25% off your first order when you use the code CARBS, C-A-R-B-S. 25% is a lot. So like if you're in the market for a couch and the couch costs 1,200 bucks and you've customized it and you have it perfect for the little nook that you want to watch your Super Bowl in, you get that order in now, 25% off of a $1,200 couch. That brings it down to under a grand. That's a good price for a couch. Jump on this, joybird.com slash carbs. All right, my taste buds, the guest today, we have been working on this gentleman for quite a while. We knew that he was going to be absolutely perfect to kick off the year. We're going to really set the tone with a guest today for how the year is going to go here on House of Carbs. This gentleman is a native son of Baltimore, Maryland. We're going to get into that a little bit. He began his food career as a pastry chef and then somehow found his way out of the kitchen and onto the pages of famous publications like the San Francisco Chronicle, the Dallas Morning News, where he was the lead restaurant critic, Atlanta Magazine, and he spent the past five years really establishing himself 
as, as truly America's food critic at Eater.com, the iconic 38 essential restaurants. He's won a, a James Beard Award along the way for his writing. He's now arrived in Los Angeles, California, as one of two new food critics for the Los Angeles Times. Bill Addison, welcome to House of Carbs. <laughs> Hi, Joe. Great introduction. Bill, Thank how you. are you? I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I've Thank never you for seen coming my, on. I've never heard my career spelled out quite like that before. Thank you. Well, did I get it right? Yeah, you did. You got it all right. Yeah. Wow. All right. Um, so thank you for coming on today. And, and as I say, uh, we're very excited to have you because of uh, kind of setting the scene, setting the tone for 2019. And you um, kind of leapt off the page at us, if I can make, make a bad pun right away, because <laughs> you, your own self, just went through a pretty transformative um, career move uh, by leaving behind, you know, the, the, the national job that you had at Eater.com. And now you're, you're at the L.A. Times. Um, you know, I don't know the correct way to describe this other than succeeding uh, the, the, to, to the role that, that uh, Jonathan Gold occupied. Um, yeah. Ha, ha, tell us a little bit about this, this career pivot. What made you do it? Uh, well, imagine traveling almost full-time uh, for five years, um, just eating your face off as fast as you can. Um, I, I loved my job at Eater. Uh, I love my colleagues at Eater. I, I can't... Um, you know, I, I can't even, it's hard for me to even grasp how, how much I've absorbed about the restaurant culture coast to coast in America from all the experiences that I had, but also it was pretty exhausting and it was hard on my personal life, frankly. And I was kind of ready in every way to find a home. Um, and because I had run all around the country for almost five years. Um, I knew pretty much the city that I wanted to be in, um, which is right here in Los Angeles. Ah, yeah, I love this. So what was home base before, even though you are on the road, you know, four-fifths of the year, what was home base? Atlanta was home base, which was a good home base because that airport will get you direct flights to almost anywhere in the country and and slightly beyond when I was covering like Mexico or Canada for Eater as well. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't even think about that. And and it does also suit your um, sort of East Coast roots, so slightly Southern. Baltimore um, is right on the the, the Mason Dixon line. So we we still, I, as a Marylander, as a, as a fellow Marylander, I still think of myself as a as a little bit Southern. People love to debate that, and no one wants to believe it. It's kind of a funny thing because I know you're from Silver Spring, so you have your own point of view on this. But DC. Not so Southern, but the Eastern Shore of Maryland, where all my people are, really Southern, I think. And if you're out there in Dorchester County, where my relatives are, and you talk to my um, my grandmother, my 92-year-old grandmother, and all my cousins, you know, they, they, they have a Southern heart to them. And um, so, sure. yeah, so the South. Well, and I, I, my own self, experienced it every single time that I went down to, to Ocean City. 
Um, you say that right. Ocean you know, City. Yeah. Anytime that you we would stop along the way, obviously, sometimes doing some great eating at like uh, the Harris Crab House yep. at, at, on Kent Narrows, you know. That's a great and so one. I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk about your uh, psychology a little bit. Okay. In the following way. <laughs> okay. So, so Jonathan Gold's untimely passing, something that we lamented here on the show and had sure. some, some beautiful discussions and the ringer did some great writing. Danny Chow yep. wrote a beautiful um, tribute to, to, to Jonathan. I read that. Absolutely. And, you know, Jonathan's relationship to, to Los Angeles and how crucial it, it's, it is one of those curiosities in life that only in passing uh, especially an unexpected passing, the, the 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 breadth of his impact on the cultural identity of Los Angeles is sort of immeasurable. Yes. So you get uh, approached for this this opportunity to to um, succeed him. Is that true? Yeah, we were sort of there was a there was some matchmaking. Let's say that. Yes. 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 So how how do you? sort of talk yourself into this, a, a job um, previously filled by a legend. Um, now you, you're sharing it and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to, to pronounce Patricia's last name because I'm notoriously bad at last names that, like this. Sure. My, my colleague is Patricia Escarciga. See, there, that is so good that I asked you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that <would have laughs> no, no offense intended at all. No. Um, and so it, it is. It was by design. Um, it seems that that two folks were brought to the fore, and I know another gentleman came from New York who's going to be doing um, video uh, um, bits as well. Oh, uh, that's not. Yeah, that's um, not quite accurate. Lucas Peterson, Lucas Quan Peterson. Um, has been in Los Angeles for 12 years. It's just that oh. he was writing the Frugal Trugal Traveler column for the New York Times most recently, but he also did Dining on a Dime videos for us in Eater, uh, at Eater. Um, that's it. That's it. That's yeah. right. My apologies to Lucas. No, no, it's all right. Yes, he lives in Los Feliz. So um, it's it's a team kind of approach to uh, occupying this job for Los Angeles. Is that right? I mean, I, I think they were already, um, I, ho I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. I think they were already, you know, thinking of ways to bulk up the restaurant coverage because Dr. Patrick Soon Shong um, bought the Los Angeles Times and is revitalizing it in extraordinary ways. And food is one of the the first focuses in that incredible Phoenix rising from the ashes kind of moment that the paper's experiencing. Not that it was ashes before. There was a lot of good work being done. But, you know, it's it's an incredible it's an incredible time of of rebuilding. I think that at this point they've hired over 100 people in the last six months for the paper. So um, that's incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. And so, you know, it's Los Angeles. It's enormous. There should be two right. critics covering this city for the, the paper. And for me, I really love having a colleague who has a completely, you know, different life story, a different perspective than mine. And we get to just branch out. We we just figure out between the two of us what we're reviewing. And, and you know, it's it's working out amazingly. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, so—, so the psychology question, you don't feel necessarily any pressure um, 
to, of course. to fill any shoes. Oh my god, you I do. I okay. feel enormous pressure and responsibility. Okay, of course. Well, like is, my god, like yeah. It. I mean, I knew Jonathan, and I know you know his wife Lori, who's just the most wonderful person, and is and you know gets gets credit in a lot of ways. Ruth Reichel likes to talk about how Laurie was sort of the the secret weapon behind her and Jonathan and the extraordinary writing careers that they've had. Yeah. Um, But so, yeah, of course, I feel an enormous responsibility. But I also, you know, from knowing Jonathan and from following his work for years, you know, he he left a path for us to walk down and and it's up to us to just keep doing that good work. Well, and that, that was what I was kind of picking up as you were describing the way that that um, food is kind of being presented in the L.A. Times going forward. It felt like a little bit of a reinvention. And in that manner, maybe because it's it's a sort of different um, approach altogether, a little less pressure. But, yeah, I, I, I understand. It was Jonathan Gold, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, exactly. Like a, a bard, a you know, a poet and a, you know, just an, you know, a native who knew this that, scene better than literally anybody on the planet, I would say, literally anyone in the city. So, of course, yeah. I, right. <laughs> so you you mentioned ha- having uh, visited virtually every city in America of any size with any kind of, uh, uh, you know, more than three restaurants hmm. that you were able to, um, you know, sort of folk, narrow down your focus for where you might settle. What is it about Los Angeles that was particularly appealing to you? Well, of course, it's the incredible breadth. And of mm. course, it's the the weather. And it's the sense mm-hmm. of adventures in the diners. But I think, you know, those things have existed for quite a while. But I think what I love, I'm still trying to refine this the more i'm here and the more i think about it because it i i'm often saying those things you know well it's you know a great dining community and and the chefs really can think outside the box and they really um know how to you know merge tradition and innovation in their cooking in really personal and singular ways and ways that often um harken to their own heritages these days which is really special and wonderful but but there's something else, something almost intangible here that it's it's just like the culture of all that I've mentioned has m- meets a peak talent level now. Also, I think that Los Angeles has is finally like, you know, we own this. You know, we own this shit, if I'm allowed to cuss on this yeah. Um, podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we had the explicit <laughs> I mean, label, like, believe me. I think that that from what I could observe, Los Angeles used to have an inferiority complex in, to New York, say, you know, and I, I'm just speaking really out in food terms because that's what I know best. But like, you know, New York ain't got nothing on L.A. Like, you know— I, this is the job that I, this is the place I want to be. This is the job that I want. This is, I don't, I don't want to be anywhere else in America eating and writing about food. So this is um, great because part of the experience, this podcast has only been going since the middle of the year uh, 2017 and roughly coincident with you know the onset of the podcast and this terrific <laughs> opportunity that that I've been blessed with yeah. um it really does seem like i've been hearing from sort of all corners of these great united states that 
Los Angeles has ascended the throne. It is like the the country's most interesting food city. Um, and it feels like it's a pretty recent phenomena. Do you do you agree with that? I do. You know, in part, it you know, again, it's the incredible breadth. But to be specific about that, it's the it's not just that there are good Chinese restaurants here. It's the specificity, the regionality, the competition that keeps you know the the best chefs focused on their game. It's the Iranian restaurants. It's the Armenian and Lebanese restaurants. It's the, of course, like the unbelievable, unfathomable wealth of of regional Mexican foods here. Um, there's just so much. And when you combine that with a really energized group of of chefs who are cooking, you know, in in every sort of like every, you know, if if it's uh, May Fam at porridges and porridge and puffs, like just doing these cool, like beautiful bowls of food that are kind of layered, interesting ingredients. Or, um, God, I don't know. I'm I'm overwhelmed. I have so, so many names in my head right now. But yeah, yeah, sure. But but um, the the curious thing to me is like what what changed? What happened? Be, what was the the accelerant? What lit the fuse? Because what you described in terms of the micro cuisines that that permeate, you know, the, the, the important thing I think to emphasize, and this is part of Jonathan's gold, Gold's just immeasurable talent, is is Los Angeles is like, it feels like the size of five East Coast cities, right? You know, anytime I go out there, I'm overwhelmed. I have to, I have now as a defense mechanism, I just think about the one or two. Um, inside of Los Angeles, inside of Hollywood, neighborhoods that I'm going to get to and let that be my my brain's focus because talking about Los Angeles as a city doesn't compute for an East Coast kid like me. Hmm. Um, yeah. But like, w- w- so what you're describing though in terms of of uh, incredible diversity across Mexico- Mexican and South American cu- cu- cuisine, incredible diversity across Asian cuisine, that's been the case for ever decades right. w- and w- why is it that that it's now like that the prominence of of Los Angeles and that food scene um has has kind of uh, properly arrived do you think it's because the culture caught up with the cooking i really ah, yeah okay. i really think that that's what it boils down to i mean there have been these communities here cooking for their own people for decades and decades and decades and jonathan chronicled them for 30, you know, maybe going on 40 years. And, but now the rest of America is awake to how special and incredible this kind of breadth and, and enormity is. And, and that there are so many ways to express um, one's heritage, one's um, palate, one's mind, one's heart through cooking. And I think that as as diners of all kinds have caught up to that, as food has become popular culture in America, as food has become intellectual fodder in America and political fo- fodder, um, then and spiritual fodder almost, you know, all these things encourage then the the community, then the the chefs who are cooking, they're like, you know, 
is this really what you're interested in? Can I make a, a go of it? Can I make a business doing this? And when the answer is yes, it just keeps spreading. And, and you know, the, the tide rises all boats. All right, Hungry Homies, quick break from this great conversation with Bill Addison. This year, set a realistic goal to wear a shirt that fits. From collar to cuff, every proper cloth shirt is made to order. So it's guaranteed to be unique to you. Just answer 10 simple questions to get your custom shirt size. Then choose from over 20 collar styles, 10 cuff styles, and 500 fabric styles. From classic to modern to whatever you are in the mood for, the team at Proper Cloth works with the best fabric producers from around the world and is only buying fabric that meets their high expectations. Each one of these shirts is going through an extensive quality control testing, so you are getting the absolute best quality and craftsmanship. Best of all, Proper Cloth guarantees a perfect fit, meaning if your shirt does not fit perfectly, they're going to remake it for free. My friends, this is the future of shirts. Looking better has never been this easy, and it starts at just $80. That's a good price. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. A customized shirt for 80 bucks is a great price. Let's be honest. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit, my taste buds. Start looking your best with a custom-fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com slash carbs today. You enter gift code carbs, you're getting $20 off your first shirt. That's an incredible price for a brand new custom fit shirt. 80 down to 20. Propercloth.com slash carbs. Now listen, yeah, I know that you are not, you're gonna, you're probably gonna argue with me, in fact, about okay. what I'm uh, I'm gonna say next. Okay. But I I I I want to give you credit. I'm going to give you two pats on the back, not just one pat on the back, because my dude, you played a crucial role in that democratization, in that uh, you know, making food across this country of ours accessible. In in terms of you know the the, the crucial cross linkage that you just described of of culture and tradition. And, you know, kind of the, the soulfulness of food. What have you spent the last five years of your life at Eater.com and the 38 essential restaurants? Like you could have uh, very easily done what the old tradition delivered, which is here are 20 great French restaurants and here are 18 other restaurants in other parts of, of the country that are greater or not, not, you know, I'm being facetious with the French, but French tradition, Western tradition restaurants, that's not how you did it. So I want, I want to tell you that I appreciate what you did, your, your role in this. And, and I was, I know for the introduction, you know, America's food critic is what I called you. I, 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 I mean that. So Thank you for your role in that. I mean, yeah, thanks, Joe. You're right. I I will argue with you with that. I 100 percent believe that. <laughs> I, you know? I knew it. Yeah. I mean, I'm at you know at best, I'm just a reflection of this moment in the culture. Like I'm, yeah, I know, I'm the lucky but, but man who gets to do this work, and you you put it out there. Well, thank you. I worked really. I mean, I'm not saying you were the only voice. I'm just saying you were a voice and a crucial voice. Well, thank you. That's all. Okay. 
So, so yes, <laughs> accept the praise. Well done. Um, I, I am interested uh, for a guy that spent the last five years of his life eating in this country. Yeah. During this this rising tide kind of moment, this this beautiful contagion, mm. um, what did you encounter over that period in terms of like changing attitudes and expectations of the of the consuming public? I think I was always surprised about where you know excellence was was percolating. Um, Portland, Maine. Mm-hmm is an incredible food town. Um, probably right now slightly more interesting than Portland, Oregon, which gets a lot of attention for its food scene, which is not to knock Portland, Oregon. That's also a great food town. Um, I, you know, and even in the course of the job, like I went down there for a serious story. I went down to Miami, Florida for a serious story at the beginning of my my second year at Eater, and I was really, you know, beyond the the food that reflects the Latino culture um, from many countries down there. I didn't find a whole lot going on that seemed too exciting. And I would say that just at the end of my tour of duty with Eater, I went to Miami for one last time, and I was surprised by all the cool stuff um, going on down there. At the top of the list, this um, this restaurant with two locations, an Indian restaurant called Ghee Indian Kitchen that was just doing fantastic, like, you know, kitchen versions of some really great regional Indian dishes. So I don't know. I can go on and I didn't, can go on and on about that. What you're asking about kind of changing tastes and it, it's that's a hard, I, I'll be honest, like I, I was happy to see excellent thriving in in places that I didn't expect it to see it thriving. But yeah. I also was happy to see like some traditional cultures thriving as well. And I guess by that, I mean, like, I am happy that in San Antonio, Texas, which is a, a food city that that I think everyone should be watching to see what happens next there. Um you know, the Tex-Mex culture is still alive and well there, and that's what people love, and they should love it. Tex-Mex should not go away. When you eat Texas, when you eat in Texas, when you eat Tex-Mex in Texas and specifically in San Antonio, you you can really taste some some greatness there, and you understand kind of the great lineage of that cuisine. Um, you know, I, I say this pretty often, but, you know, what am I, my favorite as somebody who loves the cuisines of the Middle East and in particular Lebanese cuisine. The first time I went to Dearborn, Michigan, just outside of Detroit, I mean, it's a it's a wonderland there. And so many restaurants competing for attention. And and all of them are pretty sharp. They have, you know, specialties at each of them. But I I was thrilled by how good that food was there. So it was just fun to to keep traveling around the country that, you know, the how Vietnamese culture has influenced New Orleans and Cajun cuisine and almost, you know, the food of Houston, which is also kind of like Los Angeles, like has completely come into its own for the same reasons, for that same kind of incredible um wealth of immigrant communities. So yeah, I can just rattle on and on and on about this. I think the the big point no, picture is Yeah. Things are changing. Yeah, I, I understand. And and I I'm I'm mainly just, you know, I didn't 
I wasn't trying to put you on the spot as being like a national spokesman for you know how food <laughs> in America has changed, but you know your own personal experience and part of um, what what I, I uh, am, am reminded of as you were talking is you know we've seen come to the fore some cuisines that previously um, hadn't been celebrated, and it feels like there's a momentum building. And I know just from one of your um, first efforts uh for the la times i i have really enjoyed um this this ascendance of filipino food yes absolutely and i think los angeles is at the forefront of that jonathan certainly you know jonathan wrote a beautiful piece about that a couple years ago so ma'am sir um in silver lake which is one of the couple that i uh, the second review that i wrote um yeah, is a is a beautiful reflection of that. And 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 here in Washington D.C., we've been lucky enough. There's a restaurant called Bad Saint. That, yes, um, you know, Bad big- Saint is on my list of the 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 national 38 restaurants in America. Yeah, I um, the, sorry, the 38 essential restaurants in America. I'm almost I'm already forgetting my my eater lingo. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, eater. Um, yeah, I'm obsessed with Bad Saint. It's so good. Yeah, it's like eating uh, in in a punk rock Filipino house. I mean, just only punk rock in the sense that like you're it's a very immersive. You're 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 literally like in the kitchen when when uh, it's so tiny. Oh, I'm gonna Tom Kunanan. Yeah, when when he's you know the fire is is coming up. You're feeling the flame. Do you know Joe that they started taking reservations now? Oh my God! It's a game changer. Yeah, it's I did a not game changer. That. Yeah, you had to stand in line. Sorry, folks, and uh, for like hours to get into this restaurant, and often you didn't even make it, and it was terrible. Um, so I, it, yeah, like two weeks ago they started taking reservations. So get on that. Yeah, well let let let's talk. You were in Washington D.C. last week. Um, my my efforts at at tracking you down and stalking you clearly unsuccessful um <laughs> are you allowed to say what you were in town for uh i was in town for a meeting that's all i'm allowed to say i'm in town for <laughs> okay good good that works that works <laughs> nice but you you were in town for a meeting but you also did some eating uh did. can we talk a little bit about a couple places that you stuck your head into sure yeah do you know what i really loved tail up goat man oh man incredible go so. ahead and let's tell the hungry homies about it Tail Up Goat is this just really cool, eclectic restaurant um, on Adams Mill Road um, in D.C. Joe, what neighborhood is that? I don't even know. It's in Adams Morgan. Okay, see, which used to be when I was growing up, like there was the that was the epicenter of Ethiopian um, cuisine. That was the first time I had Ethiopian food there. So yeah, um, right. And it's just a like a crazy kind of eclectic menu that doesn't have any like easy definition to it but they have incredible pastas like this telegio ravioli that was incredibly good or tagliatelle mm. with pork ragu i remember this oh, um yeah. oh wow so i guess there's a little bit of an italian thread but it just kind of, it, it sort of runs away into other directions as well but there was this like focaccia with meatballs and ricotta but also horseradish that was really cool. Have you had that one, Joe? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I have not had that one. No, and I'm I'm starving right now. And the wine list there was so good. I don't know. I'm I'm one of those people who enjoys this whole like 
biodynamic, natural, orange skin contact outside the box kind of winemaking these days. I know yeah. not all of it is perfect, but that's that what that's what makes it a pleasure when you go to some place like Tail Up Goat. And the owner, Bill, is um, he was a psalm at Comey, the upscale Greek restaurant in D.C. And so yeah, he really an, an iconic D.C. restaurant. Yeah, he could really steer. He's really steered us in beautiful directions with the wine. Um, do you eat anywhere else while you're here? You know, I guess the other one that I really liked, I will say, um, was Centralina. I'd never been there before. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so you see, even I had I had I had missed a couple good ones, even on my my eater beat. Um, I mean, I'm obsessed with Maidan there too. You've been there, right? In I was Z- lucky enough to be there um, right at, at uh, Christmas time, in between Christmas and New Year's, nice. uh, and had an incredible meal there. I feel like we I I tried to order the whole menu, um, and Rose came in and was very very generous and gracious. My favorite thing about Maidan, well, actually, let me you let me hear what you ate, and then I'll tell you my favorite thing about Maidan. Okay. Um, well, my favorite thing about Maidan are, are, are the goat specials that they come up with. Um, I had this- oh, so the, there was no goat when I was there the night oh, I was there. Oh, see. Did you have the lamb shoulder? Were they serving yes, that? Yes, yes. Okay. Of I had the lamb I shoulder. I mean, that's the big, like, like the big group, like centerpiece order. Um, but then also, you know, the flatbread is so beautiful with all the, the condiments and the side dishes that you can swipe through there. The tomb, which is Lebanese, like emulsified garlic paste and, um, yeah, the uh, shug, harissa, yeah, the shug, the, yeah, the herb, herby sauces. Yeah. It's just all, I don't know. I mean, that, that place has so such that's... a heart to it. And I just like, you know, I love the, just the, the way that it, the food is built around like the fire, the hearth. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a massive hearth. I, I, I took some pictures and did a little Instagram story that, uh, the hungry homies can see on <laughs> at the house of carbs. Um, yes. But my favorite thing, and this is the segue from the observation you were just making, you can eat your entire meal there. In fact, I insist, if you're in my company, that you eat your meal this way without utensils. Right. This is a meal that is intended to be consumed with your hands. And I, we, the night I was there, they had a ribeye. We had the whole chicken. We had a lamb shoulder. You oh, yeah. Eat all, all those, those things. things with yes. your hands. Yep, yep, yeah. Yeah, that whole chicken with the turmeric was nice. I remember that. Oh, delicious. Absolutely lovely. Yeah, that's special. That's probably my personal, I mean, that, Maidan and Bad Saint are my two favorite restaurants in D.C. right now, personally. I know well, that, that, that That's great. Now, I, I'm interested, I know you're just getting your feet under you in, in Los Angeles and s- simply uh, acclimating. I mean, it's not like you're coming in cold, but nope. acclimating um, to the lifestyle and, and to, uh, the, the eating, the rhythm of eating in a, in a, in a place where you don't have to jump into an airplane every, right. every, you know, uh, twice so a week. so happy about that. It, I have is, no impulse to travel yeah, is, right now. Yeah. Is there still travel <laughs> in your life? Oh yeah. I mean, there will be, I'm just so delighted to be on the ground right now. I mean, of course, like <laughs> I'll start pitching, you know, travel oriented, um, stories to the paper, and I'm going to Beirut f- with uh, my my for my my best friend's brother is getting married um, there. Wow. So, and I'm gonna get myself to Japan to to dig in this year. So that's 
Yeah. So of course I'm going to be wandering, but I think it's either like closer to home or really far flung. You know, I, I'm, and I think one of the fun things kind of to wrap up what we've been talking about, about this moment in LA too, is that so many people I know are coming here. My, my calendar is just full of people coming here every week from all over the country because LA is having such this, like this cultural moment. So I don't feel like I have to go to the country anymore. It's nice. I feel like my friends around the country are coming to me. So I'm grateful for that. Well, this is this is great. I, I'm famous on this show for inviting myself to meals with 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 people with guests. Come uh, on and out, I can tell Joe. you right now, I'll yep. be out February the 25th to March the first. And and my my hungry homie, my taste bud that my taste bud that that I know you are our pals with as well, Adam Rappaport. Yep. from Bon Appetit. Yep. We're both coming out. Uh, oh, cool. So we we insist that you have at least one meal with us when we're in Los Angeles. Done, done. We Adam is so famous. We have to go someplace kind of low profile so that I don't give me away. <laughs> well, I'm trying so hard to hang on to a shred of anonymity in this profile. town, man. Yeah, it just makes Believe my job me. easier to just just kind of yeah not be known at every restaurant. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how are you handling that? Um, this is going to be this is a new challenge. You don't get to surprise yeah uh, the town anymore. No, um, how I don't. Are, are you are you going to do disguises? How are you going to do it? I don't know. I'm not. I, it's a case by case basis. <laughs> I mean, I'm not above the disguises if it really feels necessary. But so far, yeah. you know, I've been busted a little, not busted a little. So um, I, I just, yeah. I'm just going to, I'm just keeping my head down and, you know. <laughs> I get it. I mean, it's impossible in the Instagram age to keep the profile completely anonymous. Clean. But, you it know, is. that is, on the other hand, one of the beautiful things about Los Angeles. You can get lost. You can go to um, St. Gabriel Valley. Nobody's going to give a shit about Bill Addison. No no offense. You, oh, you no. Get what I'm saying. None taken. Trust me. I love it. <laughs> I love the St. Gabriel Valley for exactly that reason. I've been eating there a lot. It's so nice. Yeah. I mean, That's aside great. from being like well, an I, incredible I, wealth of Asian restaurants out there. Yeah. Yeah, right. Speaking of micro cuisines. Yes. Uh, I'm going to let you go in a minute, but I want to touch on a handful of things. What are we sort of seeing as 2019 unfolds in front of us and and you know our our our, our appetites have been have been wetted. Uh W H E T T E D. Um <laughs> what what uh what kind of stuff do, are you anticipating in the way of of, you know, cu- cuisines that might come to the fore? Or you know, uh, you know, kind of restaurant scenes that are developing. One of the things I know that that's uh, really become popularized is this food hall concept. Do you ex- do you uh, anticipate seeing more of that kind of thing? I don't even know if that's if we're going to see more of that in Los Angeles specifically. I feel like that's certainly on a roll around the country. And I what I like about that, I like the democracy of that trend. I like. Um, you know, how people can start small in a stall and do something really incredible and then have the means one way or another to kind of grow their business into, you know, a solo brick and mortar or however they want to take their career. So I, I, I certainly respect that. Um, you know, we mentioned Filipino food. I think we'll see more of that. You know, it was funny because you were sort of saying about how, like, I could have just done like 20 – French restaurants is in sort of reference to like um, a, a stodgy old guard. But, you know, really, French food had all but disappeared from the 
the landscape um, in a serious way that wasn't, you know, really like anachronistic, like a total throwback. And now, so I think of restaurants like Le Cuckoo and Frenchette in New York and certainly um, Le Petit Trois um, out here in Los Angeles. You know, they they made French cooking cool again. And I really feel like more of the country is is going to see that. Um, I'm hoping that we see more Middle Eastern cuisines, um, Israeli food, um, the the cooking of is of Israel, which is really you know a, a hodgepodge, a conglomerate of all the the foods of the Middle East in a lot of ways, um, has become more and more mainstream. And so I'm hoping that we see more Lebanese, more Syrian, more Yemeni, more Jordanian. That's that's a, a wish for me. Um, in the coming year. I hope, I hope you're right. I, I was lucky enough to go up to Philadelphia about a year ago and eat at Zahav. Yes. Um, Michael Solomonov's place. Sure. And, and there just really is plenty of room in our palate for, for Israeli. Yeah, I think so. And, um, the next time you get to Philly too, go to Soraya. Have you been to that restaurant yet? No, new, no I don't know it. Yeah. New Lebanese restaurant. It's really good. Um, give okay. it a shot. Yeah. I'll text you. I'll tell you dishes to get. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so, so uh, th- those are a couple of, like the cuisines, and the, we think the food hall scene will kind of continue on as well. What about um, kind of individual ingredients? I keep saying like the emphasis of plant based proteins is something that folks are anticipating. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. I yeah. don't know where that information um, disseminates from. I, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, it. really, like, here's the thing. Here's the true trend in America. Here is the big defining thing that's going to define cooking in, in this decade in America. It was It was chefs who decided to look to their own heritage and cook foods that come from their own backgrounds and inspirations and and the ways that they took that that tradition and and modernized it as well. So it's about this this synthesis. But there's just example after example after example of that around the country. And and that's really what made this decade, you know, probably the most exciting that America's ever seen. It just wasn't in the hands of, you know, rock star chefs or celebrity chefs, which is a notion that I kind of think is dying in a lot of ways. And it just really in the hands of people who are good cooks of all backgrounds, um, all colors, all ethnicities, however, you know, however it can best, that can best be articulated. Um, cooking, cooking from, the foods of their family or the foods of their um, traditions and and putting it forth in fresh ways that were accessible and respectful, but also surprising and personal and fresh. Um, I'm not going to do any better than that in terms of uh, <laughs> continuing this conversation. <laughs> I believe that's the perfect way to, to end this. And, and what I'll say is... Uh, I'm I'm hoping for, I expect, I'm rooting for, 
a lot more of that very ethos to continue on through 2019. So that's going to be our hoped for trend in 2019 is 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 more of this uh, what seems to be an unstoppable train of of delivering to us, you know, the opportunity to share traditions and cultures and regions that you know we we hadn't come into contact with before. Yes, that's what I'm expecting to see. Well, that, 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 that's perfect. Bill Addison, you're a hero. Thank you so much for coming on uh, House of Carbs. And I look very forward to eating with you as soon as reasonably possible. Thanks, Joe. I will see you soon. Thanks for having me. Can't wait. There we go, my taste buds. A beautiful kickoff to 2019 on this House of Carbs. You got to come back next week. It is the lead up, the run up to the delicious Super Bowl event. I think we might have a guest with a little bit of a Atlanta inclination. Maybe you want to think about that as your flavor profile for the Super Bowl. You got to check in next week. At the House of Carbs is our Instagram. I think we're going to try and steal some pictures from Danny of his time in Toronto. And we'll also be documenting some of the eating coming up as we plan for the Super Bowl. We shall be back next week. In the meantime, my hungry homies, let's stay hungry out there. <laughs> <laughs>